0: Welcome to the Not All Better Show, Smithsonian Associates Inside Science Series. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and this is episode number 353. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Inside Science and Technology Series, we are joined today by author, policymaker, scholar, and businessman, Dan Poneman. Dan Poneman will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates May twenty second, 2019, and his presentation is entitled Double Jeopardy. Combating nuclear terror and climate change. Humanity faces two challenges in which nuclear power plays a pivotal role. The spread of nuclear weapons and mitigating climate change. Both have human origins and both are linked to the use of nuclear energy. Nuclear energy is the most prodigious source of carbon-free electricity now available and could prove pivotal to addressing global climate change and air pollution concerns, yet inherent in the use of atomic power is the risk that the technology and materials can be mishandled resulting in tragic disasters or diverted to terrorists or hostile nations and used to make nuclear weapons. The key question is whether we can use nuclear energy to reduce the threat of climate change without increasing the risk of nuclear accident or attack. Dan Poneman, Senior Fellow with the Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs at the Harvard Kennedy School and the President and Chief Executive Officer of Centris Energy Corporation argues that the world needs an all-of-the-above energy policy, one that advances the goal of decarbonizing the environment through all available means, including nuclear power.
1: There is a lot of enthusiasm around renewable energy, and I share that enthusiasm. Renewable energy is wonderful. Uh, Solar, uh, the increase in solar has been dramatic. The declining cost of solar has been dramatic, Uh, similar with wind, uh, where you've reached what they call grid-level parity in terms of pricing of these renewable sources vis-a-vis traditional large power plants. Uh, The problem is these are intermittent sources of energy, and therefore, they don't fill all the gap, and even the most ambitious goals for wind and uh, solar don't get you there. So when you have certain public policies that uniquely favor uh, an energy source because it's renewable, that's okay. But much better if you make that standard available to support all clean energy. And and that would certainly bring in nuclear, uh, and it would bring in other uh, sources as well.
0: That, of course, is our guest today, best-selling author, policymaker, scholar, and businessman, Dan Poneman. Dan Poneman will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates Program May 22nd, 2019, and his presentation is entitled Double Jeopardy, Combating Nuclear Terror and Climate Change. Please join me in welcoming to the Not All Better Show via internet phone, author Dan Poneman. Dan Poneman, welcome to the program.
1: Delighted to be here, Paul. Good to be with you.
0: Nice to be with you, too. I uh, have to tell you, this is a fascinating subject, and and I want to get into it. But maybe you can start by telling us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation.
1: Well, I'm really looking forward to it. I've been a fan of the Smithsonian since my first visit there in 1964. It's a great community of of people who are interested in all kinds of things. And if there's one group of people who I think will care about the issues addressed in this book, be it climate change, be it nuclear leadership, be it nonproliferation, I think that's, that's a very fine group to speak to.
0: And I agree with you. I think your message will resonate. I think the group will be very interested. But let's dive into it a little bit, because the challenges that we face, the spread of nuclear weapons and climate change, they're linked to the use of nuclear energy. And if you could explain that connection and how nuclear kind of fits into climate.
1: Absolutely. Well... Everybody has been focused on the imminent threat of catastrophic climate change. And, of course, we had a global effort that culminated in 2015 in the Paris Climate Agreement. That climate agreement, Paul, was based on about 197 commitments from different countries to do all kinds of things to reduce carbon, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, including solar, including wind, including reforestation and carbon sinks, including efficiency. The problem is, if you added up every national pledge that was the backbone of Paris, and everybody executed 100% of their pledges, which never happens in the real world, you still don't get anywhere close to the two-degree centigrade uh, temperature change that the target of uh, Paris has codified in international law and uh, in fact you don't even get within two degrees centigrade and some say not within five degrees centigrade the only way you get close to hitting those targets is with a significant expansion of nuclear energy
0: so when you say expansion are you talking doubling is it tripling what what
1: kind of numbers do we need to really grow this by it it depends who you talk to but Mm -hmm. i think a very responsible international uh analysis is done every year by the International Energy Agency, based in Paris, and they say roughly you need a doubling of the current fleet of uh, nuclear power reactors to get anywhere close to the sustainability uh, goals that they that they codify from Paris.
0: So that you use the word codify, and it seems like when these issues come together, it's around en- energy standards. And I gather from the book that you might almost be agnostic when it comes to specifically clean energy sources, but that the real issue is carbon. And if we don't uh, embrace a really clean energy standard, we potentially lose a very real carbon-free benefit from nuclear. So I've heard you say this, it's it's all about the carbon. So explain that. It's a long question. I apologize for that. But I think that's yeah. got some ramifications. No no,
1: yeah. no, no, no need to apologize because it's a, a huge oh. issue. There is a lot of enthusiasm around renewable energy, and I share that enthusiasm. Renewable energy is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Solar, uh, the increase in solar has been dramatic. The declining cost of solar has been dramatic, Uh, similar with wind, uh, where you've reached what they call grid-level parity in terms of pricing of these renewable sources vis-a-vis traditional large power plants. Uh, The problem is these are intermittent sources of energy, and therefore they don't fill all the gap and even the most ambitious goals for wind and uh, solar don't get you there. So when you have certain public policies that uniquely favor uh, an energy source because it's renewable, that's okay. But much better if you make that standard available to support all clean energy and and that would certainly bring in nuclear uh, and it would bring in other uh, sources as well, for example. Uh, obviously there's a lot of coal-fired plants still out there not just in the United States but everywhere especially in Asia and you have a lot of natural gas coming into power generation in the United States we really want to have carbon capture and sequestration attached to those forms of power generation and if you do uh, which is still a big challenge then I think they too should get credit for being clean so anything that removes carbon from the atmosphere should be welcomed. And anything that discriminates against anything that removes carbon from the atmosphere should be, I think, rejected, because I think that moves us in the wrong direction on climate change.
0: We are with Daniel Poneman. Daniel Poneman will be at the Smithsonian Associates Wednesday, May 22nd, drawing from his new book, Double Jeopardy, Combating Nuclear Terror and Climate Change. Fascinating title, really just a fascinating subject, uh, Daniel Poneman. So we're catching up to you uh, while you're at the airport. You're a very busy man. So I want to drill down even further quickly and ask you, how do we use one nuclear energy without increasing the risk of the other side of the equation that can come from nuclear annihilation and a terror attack?
1: So this has been the challenge, Paul, that we've faced since the dawn of the nuclear age. And frankly, the premise uh, that Dwight Eisenhower, presented to the world at the United Nations on December 8, 1953. His so-called atoms for peace vision is still the right vision, which is that we should make the benefits of the peaceful uses of the atom available to all, but it has to be accompanied by the most strict safeguards against the misuse of this technology, because obviously the enriched uranium fuel uh, that goes into a reactor uh, and the plutonium that is produced within the reactor could uh, be misused and diverted to weapons use. So how do we get uh, the benefits of the peaceful use of nuclear energy without those risks? I think the United States has to continue to lead. There are over 440 reactors uh, operating in the world today. And no one has, I think, stronger safety standards and stronger nonproliferation and security standards than the United States of America. So the United States has to remain in a leadership role so that we can continue to lead those global policies that uh, will restrict the use and the diversion of these dangerous technologies and materials to improper military use. And uh, I don't wanna go on too long, but there's a, a number of ways that you can go about this. Oh, thank you for that.
0: And let's talk about leadership for just a second, because it seems like the US is giving some mixed signals about this subject, the nuclear energy, and maybe we're being, as a, as a government, we're being inconsistent, even negative, about the US role in climate change. Have we lost the nuclear leadership uh, globally, as a country, and will be be getting this back at all as a country, and if we've lost it, who are the leaders today globally?
1: Well, I, I would say that at the dawn of the nuclear age, the United States one might almost call the alpha and the omega. That certainly is no longer the case, and I would, I guess, I would say, Paul, that our leadership is under severe challenge. What has happened? Uh, After Three Mile Island, we had uh, 30 years in which nuclear power plants were not built in this country. We lost the hang of it. We lost the supply chain, we lost the talent pool. So when we started building reactors again, uh, which uh, were being built in uh, South Carolina and Georgia, We were slow and we were uh, over budget and uh, we had real problems. Meanwhile, other countries have been building them, you know, much more frequently uh, in much greater quantities and and they got good at it because they got the hang of it. So in terms of building reactors, you know, there's uh, over 50 getting built around the world. Only two of those are now getting built in the United States, so that's a risk. In the uh, area of nuclear fuel, the most sensitive part of the nuclear fuel cycle, because this enrichment technology is what can in fact make bomb grade material, when I started as a summer intern for John Glenn, way back in 1975, the United States basically dominated the whole world market outside of what we used to call the Soviet bloc. When I started working for President Bush uh, 41, uh, back around 1990, we still had 40% of the market. When I started working uh, at the Department of Energy in 2009, we had 25%. Now we're down to 4%. Uh, who's moved up? Uh, Russia has moved up uh, very ambitiously. China has moved up uh, as well. And those are really uh, around the world, uh, the, to leading countries in terms of both what they're building in their own countries and what they're seeking to export. Uh, you also have reactor construction going on in India and the United Emirates. Uh, and uh, there are also a, a couple of reactors still getting built in, uh, in South Korea. So uh, our ability to sway global norms I think, is imperiled by our inability to be more successful in our own programs. I do think we can get our groove back, and I think uh, some of the things that are happening right now uh, in Washington and elsewhere in the country are, are helping to put us in that direction. So uh, I'm optimistic, but I think we have to be braced for this you know, rather grim current reality. How do we sway the
0: public? How do we get back to a point where uh, we're regaining some public confidence in nuclear.
1: Well, this is a huge issue, uh, Paul, because really there is, of course, no energy source without risk. But the going back to the movies of Godzilla and the uh, 50-foot woman and all those kind of scary movies from the 50s, <laughs> nuclear has always held a certain almost hypnotic uh, and frightening effect. It's an invisible form of danger. And even though people are killed every year by the use of fossil fuels in large quantities, uh, and tragically so, uh, and that's not happening in nuclear space. It's nuclear that still seems to uh, engage the public imagination in a very you know, concerned way. So we definitely have to get our arms around that problem. How do we do that? Look, we just have to be good and embed a deep-seated safety culture so people understand that the safety, which is the ultimate uh, objective and priority in nuclear energy, is in fact – effectively being implemented, not just in the United States, but everywhere. You know, the Three Mile Island uh, accident happened way back in 1979. People had sort of gotten over that, and even Chernobyl was in 86. That memory and and painful one at that had receded. Fukushima in 2011 really had a devastating effect on public confidence. The other thing, the last thing I would say on this is, some of the new technologies of the so-called fourth-generation nuclear reactors, which are still on the drawing boards, have inherently safe designs, which uh, are much better than the older technologies. And I think once the public understands some of the benefits and some of the unique safety features of these new technologies, I think that also could help persuade people that nuclear power is in fact safe and that the you know the greater risk is in not doing something to stop this terrible threat of uh, mm-hmm. catastrophic climate change.
0: Daniel Putnam, in your new book, Double Jeopardy, Combating Nuclear Terror and Climate Change, is getting great reviews. I found it very readable and enjoyable and you write from the perspective of a former policymaker still a policymaker but as also as a scholar and as a businessman and in the book you offer a number of recommendations maybe give us three of the most creative uh that are going to allow us to rise to the climate change and and as you say take us back to the future with nuclear energy
1: yeah well uh thanks paul for the for the compliment uh I am a strong adherent of the so-called all of the above energy policy, which says we need to throw every non-carbon or low carbon uh, energy source uh, at at the climate change problem. So uh, the I think the first recommendation I would flag is you simply have to put a price on carbon. You have to put a price on carbon because the market responds to that and there's no more efficient allocator of resources than the market. The problem nuclear is facing today in the premature shutdown of some very, you know, fine operating plants is the market does not recognize the unique attributes of nuclear power such that it's always on. Ask people in Minnesota how they felt during the polar vortex of of 2014 (laughs) when their uh, coal-fired plants froze and their gas-fired plants, the uh, gas in the pipelines froze and the plants shut down. The nuclear uh, power plants kept that region going. Uh, and and uh, in terms of res- after hurricanes and so forth, there's an incredible resilience to uh, nuclear power that other energy forms lack. And obviously, it, it issues uh, no car- carbon. So even though nuclear power now accounts for a little under 20%, about 19% of our energy uh, g- electricity generation, it's well over 50% of our carbon-free electricity gener- generation. So you got to put some kind of a burden, some kind of a price on carbon that's the first secondly to your earlier question we have to stop discriminating among low carbon sources of energy the point of introducing uh, solar and wind is not to replace carbon-free nuclear but to get rid of the carbon-emitting forms of power generation and some of these public policies that i was talking about such as shifting renewable portfolio standards which only reward Uh, those intermittent forms of energy need to be expanded to become clean energy standards that reward all forms of low carbon uh, power generation. And then I think the third one, just to sort of round out uh, a a different kind of recommendation out of the book, is we really have to keep investing deeply and uh, significantly in fundamental research. We don't know the game-changing technologies that are out there to be had, but we do know that we're going to need fundamental uh improvements uh and i'll just name two areas if we want to be successful in fighting climate change number one battery technology everyone loves wind and solar fair enough it's great but you need to have something that's going to store that energy so when the sun's not shining and the wind's not blowing that you can still benefit from the power that they produce we're not anywhere near where we need to be in terms of grid level storage and the second thing is like it or not there's just going to be an enormous amount of coal uh being uh used to power generation and it's a global problem so you have to look at China you have to look at India you have to look at Southeast Asia and the plants that are have been built that are uh, spewing out enormous amounts of CO2 are relatively new and they're going to be spewing out these CO2 emissions for decades unless we do better much better at carbon capture utilization sequestration so we need to invest heavily in fundamental research
0: Daniel Poneman, I know you are very busy and we certainly appreciate your time. This is a, a, a fascinating subject. As I say, it's complex and I think it's an important one. So thanks for being generous with your time today. We'll, we will look forward to seeing you at your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. But Daniel Poneman, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Paul. And uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Those are great questions. And I hope you know people will think about how we can, in fact, create that uh, low-carbon future that all of us and our children really need if we hope to uh, enjoy the kind of future that we're trying to create for our next generations let's make this happen thank you very much daniel poneman
0: thanks to dan poneman who will be appearing at the smithsonian associates program may 22nd 2019 and his presentation is entitled double jeopardy combating nuclear terror and climate change at the ripley center in washington dc dan poneman's new book double jeopardy combating nuclear terror and climate change will be available for sale and signing More details are available on our website. Thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show, and thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Remember, talk about better, the Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.